Do you want to know the secret to success? Welcome to rulesforsuccess.com, a platform that unites the accomplished and the ambitious. This is where successful entrepreneurs reveal their winning strategies, their profound wisdom, and their practical guidance. Whether you are a pioneering entrepreneur, a determined business leader, or simply someone who craves success, rulesforsuccess.com is the podcast designed for you. We're here to arm you with the invaluable knowledge of individuals who have paved their own path to success. And now let's get into the show with dynamic host, Joseph Varghese. Hey everyone, Joseph Varghese here. I'm here with my good buddy, Richie Hecker. Richie and I connected a decade ago, and uh, Richie is an entrepreneur who's kind of a born entrepreneur in terms of how I know him. And uh, he is a master at being in action. He's, he's, uh, what I appreciate about him, for me being having been a formal engineer, is that he's all about data. It's about being in action. And uh, we're going to talk about him, his life, where he's at, his rules for success. For all of you watching in our audience, you can tap, tap into this recording, the replay of this at rulesforsuccess.com. And we'll also have a mind map summary of all the key points that Richie talks about too. So I'm beyond, beyond excited for this. Richie, how are you, brother? I'm good. How are you? Good. Glad to see you. I'm amazing, man. I know when we first connected 10 years ago, you were not married. Now you are officially married. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I think partnership is the ultimate path toward growth. It just pushes us to be better when we when we have our significant others. That's my personal belief. And how is it for you kind of being married and being an entrepreneur? How is that for you? Oh, it's great. I have a boss now. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. I, I get that. I get, yeah. I, I get, I get that. I remember I um, when I when we, we connected like a week ago, and it, so you and I were in a co- leadership coaching program way back in this ten years ago, and this is uh shortly after you launched your brand Traction Scale, and I know you've been involved with many other businesses before that, including acquiring Bebo and a few other things prior to that too as well. Um, yeah, and and uh, like like so much has shifted. So like, like certainly marriage shifts us and has us uh, really step up in a lot of ways. And like you, like you and I were both like Uber drivers for our wives. I take my wife to work. Uh, she's a physician as well. And I drive her to work three days a week, loving on her. And I know you do the same as well. Also, you're, you're your wife's Uber driver, as you characterized. Yeah. <laughs> my wife's executive assistant and personal chauffeur. It's great. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I love it. I love it. I love it. And partnership is, is so awesome. So, uh, Excellent. So let's talk about that. So you're, 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 you're I'm like, I love entrepreneurship and I became an entrepreneur a little later in life, about 20 years ago, but like, I, I didn't start it that way. What got you on the path of being an entrepreneur? I just always was. I uh, started when I was 15. I started an online advertising company. I built a couple of websites. I was just bored in high school and just started hacking around and doing stuff. And then I started selling some advertising for online and that got me into uh, entrepreneurship, built a little online advertising business, made a little bit of money and uh, learned the industry. And it turned out that a lot of the people from the online advertising industry back in the day ended up growing as, as the market evolved. It became executives all throughout the whole kind of tech industry. So as I grew up, I ended up having a pretty good network of folks all over the place uh, throughout tech and media, accidental. What do you love about entrepreneurship? What has it given you the ability to do being an entrepreneur? You know, until I got married, I really hated having to report to anybody. Uh, it was just like uh, having my own flexibility as new ideas and opportunities come up. I like I like seeing the world as a as an empty as a empty whiteboard, and you only really get that as an entrepreneur. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And you, I find that I mean, when we first connected ten years ago, it was a leadership framework we're involved with, and uh, 
how do you keep yourself on point as far as being on your edge so you're continuing evolving? Because I find a lot of entrepreneurs, I lead accountability structures. That's part of one thing I do with success circles. I find people get comfortable, they get in their own ways, and then like they blink their eyes and like 10 years goes by. And how do you, on an ongoing basis, get uncomfortable so you can be like, you're actively sharpening the saw in the work you do as an entrepreneur? Yeah, there's no great answer for that one. At least I don't have one. I've always just found that whenever you feel comfortable in something, which might be the day you figured out how to do what you're actually working on is the day you got to be worried about what I found that with where I live too. Whenever I get comfortable in my home, I have to like, and it takes a little while. Sometimes it can take a month, sometimes it can take a year, but wherever you live, it's like, all right, so now that I'm comfortable here, what am I missing? And it's not like I need to buy like a new lamp. So sometimes I need to buy a new lamp. Uh, a lot of it is just like, you know, you gotta, once you, once you feel steady in today's world, especially as an entrepreneur, that basically means someone can come and cut you down. So you always got to remind yourself to not be too comfortable for too long. At least for me, I've always found that. Always act, always be in today's frame as if tomorrow you're going to lose your place. How how important is proximity around that? Because I know you're you're friends with some exceptional entrepreneurs, thought leaders, authorities in the space. Some years ago, you invited me to a party with, I forget the gentleman's name, but he's an author. uh, and wealth book, for example, but how, how important is proximity as far as uh, elevating our games, your game? So proximity is always important, right? It's all about the network of, of the circle of people you're around or how you can hustle into new circles, usually. And I find there's like a shift. Sometimes it's really valuable, like network got really valuable for the last 10 years. But I found for the last year or so, network's actually been less valuable. Hustle has been more important than network because it's pretty easy to like find someone if you need to. As long as you have the right social proof behind you, you can pick up the phone and call almost anybody. So like, I am a super connector. I happen to have a large network, but I found in what I'm doing now, a lot of my network helped inform it and did help with some connections, but a lot of it was just hustling through the process uh, more than like my pre-existing network. I'd say out of 20 top connections that I work with on a regular basis, there might be one that triggered out of my network. Now that might've been the first one though that got me into this business, but beyond that, everything else is being a hustle. Got it. Got it. And when you say hustle, do you mean like as far as building the systems or processes being in action? Is that what you mean? Like really taking it, taking it further? Yeah. Systems, process, being in action and where your next client comes from, where your next employee comes from. Um, I've found that I've recruited my current team is a lot of folks that I've recruited new. Most people. Uh, My current client base is most of the people that I met in the last eight months since I got into the primary business that I've been focused on. But by the way, your keyboard, I don't know what's going on there, your keyboard, but it's uh, it's, it's uh, shaking your, your your camera a little bit. Oh, sorry, I hit my, I, I bounced my hands on my desk. I'm kind of animated. <laughs> not, the whole webcam environment and animation doesn't work for my hands that well. Got it, got it. Yeah, I, 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 I get that. I'm animated. I, I've been, I've been on a podcast where people are on like a elliptical or treadmill interviewing me. That's happened twice before. And uh, I, I find that movement really, like movement is so essential. It's, like, it's so critical that we move constantly, our bodies. Um, and uh, I have like my other, my office, I've got a fit desk, for example. So I get to, if I want to work while I bike away, kind of like a that, that hamster on the treadmill, but you know, in this case, it's, uh, it's like a fit desk. <laughs> so that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, what, so curious, so what rituals, what practices, habits do you, have you taken on each day that allowed you to really 
hustle the way you are. You really show up each day outside of marriage, outside of, outside of like what we do or being chauffeurs once in a while to our wives. What are some rituals? What are things that keep you in motion? You know, I'd say for the longest time, my main ritual was getting up about seven and going to the gym. Um, I have, I, 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 I moved, COVID hit, that ritual got a little screwy. Mm-hmm. But I'd say the most valuable ritual of staying in frame is just every day. I get up, before I look at my email, I get off and go to the gym, come back, shower, eat breakfast, then look at email. And I found by having a morning and have a clear head, I start in a positive mood and the whole day is like much better. Uh, the other ritual that I've done, but also fell off the wagon on lately was meditation, even for like one minute, yeah. uh, a one minute meditation to start the day, I found to be really valuable. So like a combined workout, which is sweating, gets your mind, your whole mind and body engaged. And like a minute of meditation, like the Shavasana at the end of a yoga class, those two things together really are helpful. I also added caffeine into my diet because I had sworn off caffeine for a very long time. Awesome. That actually helps because it, it blocks. I'm able to stay focused throughout the day and I actually get out of my head more. Mm-hmm. I mean, get out of, I get out of my head. I was stuck in my head sometimes if I ended up lower energy. I didn't realize why uh, the wife introduced me to matcha. So I'd have a glass of matcha every day and then all of a sudden I'm not getting like in my head at 4 p.m. Awesome. Different little things have been helpful. I'm not advocating drug use or caffeine. <laughs> and much is green tea kind of advanced, like green tea, right? It's what it is. Yeah, right. it's condensed green, green tea. So those things I found to be real valuable. Um, what else I got lately? Let's see. Oh, uh, also there's a few tools I've used that are real valuable and like how to set my day. So what I do before I respond and send out emails and do paperwork, I spend about five minutes just going through my entire inbox, deleting things, I call it punting or kind of snoozing items to show back later during the day or later the week or like a week later and uh, figuring out what I actually need to focus on. So my inbox might be left between one and 20 items depending on the day to start with the things that I actually want to get done that day as a priority. So like five minutes of setting the day and prioritizing, I find really helpful. Uh, And if I work out, I'm in a better mood and the caffeine means I don't crash at four. So those things together are the routine. I have one other thing to add, though. What one other. What do you got? Very important. I found it to be super good and help me get through my own like kind of. Repeat uh, that. Repeat. Repeat that again. What's the thing? One very important thing that I've done in the last year or so that I found to be crazy valuable. What's that? Uh, if you hold on a minute, I will show you. Yeah, please. Yeah, Wait, go, so for it, go for it. Watch go for it. Go for it. Stay tuned. The excitement is here. Let's see what Richie has to show us. <laughs> And Richie's up mastered execution. That's is my experience of this. The things he's launched over the years, even uh, I, I find that it's so key that we pivot constantly. He's a master. Oh, there you go. He's got the look hat. What's, yeah. what's, yeah. what's, what's, what's his or her name? So we've adopted, uh, which one is this? This one is done, done. We've adopted uh, two cats and we have a uh-huh. third one that we're cat sit, cat sitting right now. Uh-huh. And I found having a little kitty to be very valuable and keep me relaxed and focused throughout the day. And also, she does email for me. Okay, <laughs> so, so so she's like she's it's basically one of those cats. Back in the days, they had these uh, videos, these it's meme videos. We got the cat and uh, like music from like the '80s, like like keyboard music, keyboard cat. So yeah. she does she she does your she does your emails for you. Got it? Yeah, once or twice a day, she comes over. She stands on my keyboard, does my emails, and won't let me do it. She insists on doing it as a, as a way to show her love and appreciate. Awesome. 
Awesome. Cats are entertaining. I had a cat for several years. My cat, Wyatt, passed away a few years ago, but uh, cats are very, very. My daughter actually met my cat, but she's six years old. She's almost six. She has no recollection of it. That's awesome. But that's 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 awesome that, that you have two and you're adopting a third cat. That's that's really great. Well, we have we have two. The third is only cat sitting for two weeks while our friends are in the room. Okay, got it. So now I have three cats running around the house. And 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 another thing that we got recently, which is quite helpful, mm. which is our extra pet, which is called we call we named Shippy, which is a little Roomba that jumps around and like vacuums the whole house for us. Wow. Okay, got it. So that's our new pet. Awesome. Awesome. We have a, yeah, it's, that's pretty cool. Roombas are very awesome and useful, especially when you have pets in the house. Yeah. It's it is. I see half of the household work that you can't even outsource unless you had someone like a living here cleaning up after you all the time. It's really uh, helpful. <laughs> awesome. That's, that's, that's super awesome. It's great. Well, what are you up to these days? Attraction scale. I know we talked about the pivot before you're a master at the pivot. And uh, as I understand a part of your pivot last year, based on the need was getting into um, the uh, with, with with COVID happening, you're 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 married to your medical professional. Of course, you have insights on things happening. Um, you got into um, products, right? Like like masks and N95 masks and things of that sort at a mask level, correct? Yeah. So prior to COVID, we were for the last five years. I'm doing a lot of advisory work between the U.S. and China. So I was helping U.S. companies help exit, enter the Chinese market. Chinese companies enter the U.S. market. We work with folks like Diddy, the Uber of China, some very large Chinese companies and U.S. startups trying to go to China. So we had a lot of connections, a lot of insight into the U.S. Chinese market, international trade. We had started working on e-commerce products and cross-border e-commerce over the last year and a half. So COVID came and we started, we got asked, uh, like as I mentioned earlier, by the New York City government to help get them medical supplies. So we shipped N95 masks, uh, hand sanitizer, nitrile gloves, a bunch of medical supplies that we were able to find leveraging our our connection initially in China, but we built a, a global network since then. And I thought initially this was like a favor or a one-off project to do to just get a bunch of stuff. And then it became a first, it uh, very quickly became a full-time job. It very quickly took off in its own right and became like a operating business. I took a bunch of my existing team and resources, shifted, uh, shifted it towards this. And during, uh, you know, during March and April, when the world was shut down, this was pretty much the only business that was really functional. So I started doing it. And then after the world started opening back up, I, we just kept at it and kept growing it. Um, and that's, that's, and so we are at the parent level, we're an international trade company. We happen to do import export and happen to be doing a lot of medical and dental supplies right now. We'll, we'll expand other products as opportunities show up. And we've gotten really good at kind of just creating that global quality control and knowing how to uh, build teams rapidly anywhere in the world. And there was a huge, huge need last year, of course. And of course, we're still in it. Things are more easily accessible, but people forget back in last March, these things were inaccessible. My wife's a medical professional. My sister's a, a, a doctor on the front line. And uh, back then, it was crazy. People had to reuse things over and over again. So it's awesome that you provided a solution. You're able to execute. One of the key things that I've learned just in every, anything, we do, especially during uh, COVID time, is execution. It's getting yeah. out of our heads, making things happen, building teams, doing it on a global basis. You mentioned to me before that you're also uh, doing something outsourcing. You've got, you're building a global outsourcing operation. So talk about that. Oh, so we got really good at rapid staffing all over the world. So I have staff for our import-export business in the U.S., China, um, Philippines, India, uh, Thailand, Vietnam, and Malaysia. And I had uh, someone else in the Middle East at one point. And also, and, and so we, we have six, seven countries. We have different people in it. 
they're really good at rapidly building teams. And uh, we got approached by a major film festival to develop out and now they're outsourced customer service and technical support arm. Now, while it sounds like it's disconnected, I used to run a global outsourcing company 20 years ago, but now I'm able to rapidly build out the teams in a very specialized way. And uh, we already had the recruiting infrastructure. We already have the global management infrastructure. So someone called us as a favor if we can put together a 27 person uh, contact center team in zero notice. And we said, we looked at it, I thought I could find someone to give the project to. And I realized given the nature of it, uh, it was really hard to just give it to an outsourcing company. I'm like, all right, we'll do it. So now we're building this team and a project will happen in uh, about eight days from now it starts. So we're finishing the recruiting training. It'll all be very fun and very last minute and it should work out quite nice. Awesome, my friend. So, and, uh, sorry. That's amazing. That's really amazing. Like just like that, you find a solution and you're able to build a team. It's really inspiring yeah. for all of us. What's so, so beyond the rituals you take on, but beyond all of that, all of that, what what mindset do you have that allows you to be resourceful? Because you are, however, you've always been resourceful, but especially during these unique times. I got I got a buddy of mine. He had a dating business, and he was a uh, community that we lead, and he was all um, speed dating. But in, in a short period of time, he was able to get on Zoom and master it early on in, in April, and um, he built it to a very thriving 50 k per month business. And um, I mean, execution is key, right? Being resourced, especially at the ground level, like recognizing a need, getting out there, and executing, and doing what it takes. What what else supports you? How are you able to? get into this resourceful mindset to be able to do this? I uh, was well, it's believe the opportunity is there. And then B, like know where to pull resources when you need it, where to build, how to rapidly build teams. I've, uh, and then, you know, the world's a possibility. I just assume anything is possible. Uh, and I, when I look at new things to go after, I don't necessarily look for the biggest like uh, opportunity. I look for one that I know I can execute on. Got it. It's not a lot of times the big opportunities that sound big usually come with strings attached that make them impossible and, or they're just not real. There's something about them that, that, that isn't accurate. So I found is like just picking this stuff to chew on where you can immediately be actionable on it and then you have the capabilities of doing it and just what, what capabilities do you have? I mean, everybody has some, everybody knows somebody. You just figure out if you know where to call to figure something out. And a lot of times you do and it kind of work itself out. Um, Awesome. Learn so, hire people like hire hire fast, fire fast. Amazing. Got it. So you're you're realistic on expectations. You're realistic on what you can deliver. You have the ability to hire fast, which is key. And fire fast, but also firing fast is probably more critical than hiring fast because there's a lot of talent, a lot of pulls out there in terms of access. Um, that's great. It's extraordinary. Any, any final words? Anything else you want to add to that? I have a good HR technique. So it's always, if you're running through a situation, you have to hire people fast. One, at least one of every two people you're going to hire is not going to work out for one reason or another. Because uh, you don't have time to build culture when you're hiring. Yeah. And so what I, what, if you're not sure about someone, I'll usually first give them test projects, see how that goes. And if you're still not sure, you give them a complicated test project, a second one. Mm-hmm. And you'll see if they actively quit if they execute or they or if they execute flawed by giving them something a little complicated to do as like a second quick project you can get there in like a day yeah. and i find is a lot of times people opt out when you hire someone that's not quite a fit you give them a complicated second project they will just say i can't do this you know and the first project they usually do something simple test this out look at this give me your feedback yeah you get to see how someone thinks from a small simple project and how they act and react in the complicated project you see if they have common sense that they can figure out how to adapt and apply things and 
how they can uh, how they can how they can take on new things and can they do it quickly and efficiently and they're good for taking this project on. So those are like my two tests for recruiting that I find to be helpful, especially everything I've done for the last eight months is moving really fast. Like import export, we built a 10 person team in like a week. Um, I'm building a 27 person team for this uh, contact for this outsourcing project in also like a week. So all these things require very rapid recruiting processes and you can't be perfect. You just got to have tweaks in the system in order to let people self weed, weed themselves out. That's the key to be able to, to adapt. And then if you really want people to be successful at a job, you got to give them very clear and specific processes for them to follow yeah. if they're part-time. Full-time people, you expect to be able to adapt on their own and culture drives the organization. But part-time people, you need to give them very clear execution frameworks to work on. Did you do X? How long did it take? What did it cost to execute? Because part-time people are usually not gener- driven by culture or community. They're driven by uh, tasks. So you have to know the difference. Oftentimes people try to recruit task-based people and adapt them into a culture and then it just pisses everybody off. Right. So I find this to be a really, and other times you try to give people that are like executive mindset thinking and community mindset people very specific, detailed, like little tasks to do it. It pisses them off. So you got to mix and match. Like someone that you want to think and plan is more of a executive mindset kind of full-time community-based thing because you got to think holistically very specific detail-oriented tasks is more consultant, outsourced, task-based. So you got to figure out the match, your uh, your project, your management style, and also how you can validate or vet whether someone's the right fit based on the type of person. That's just one of the things I, I've been learning myself and I've been getting better at that I just wanted to share with the community. It, it okay. saved a lot of headache and you get to figure that out. That, that's a lot of wisdom right there. So that's, that's extraordinary with regard to bringing somebody on board long-term or short-term, uh, temporary-based, and really making sure the right fit with your culture, what you're up to. Do you um, do you subscribe to personality profiling tests like DISC or uh, Enneagram or even Colby for that uh, purpose? I've never heard of any, any of those. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to send me links. I'd love to check them out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I just more of review people's work, give people test projects for common sense and see how they do than trying to behaviorally profile people. Uh, it works too. It just hasn't been something that I've employed. I've seen it done and I have a lot of study to study in behavioral science. Yeah. Yeah. And, and once again, you're about execute. So that's, that's, that's key when you're able to do that. And even pay people, pay some for their time as far as testing things out. Yeah. That is, that's awesome. My friends. Great. So how do people connect with the further audience? Uh, at Richie Hecker at Twitter. On Twitter, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, you're, you're welcome to uh, send me an email at richieattractionandscale.com. So Traction Scale is Richie's site for what he's up to these days. He's a master of execution, tapped into his genius. And uh, yeah, brother, well, thank you for, so much for this interview. For our audience, rulesforsuccess.com, access this and the mind map summary. And uh, I'm just excited to see Richie continue to scale everything he's up to in his life. And his marriage too as well also. So kudos, my friends. Thank you so much for this, making this happen. Thanks for having me. Take care. That's it for today's episode of rulesforsuccess.com podcast. But the journey to success is far from over. Join us next week for another inspiring conversation with a successful entrepreneur. Until then, remember to be bold, be courageous, and go after your dreams.